Last night, hairy, overweight men who call themselves bears were having sex outside the house. My children heard them. Mommy, what's that noise? They actually asked me. I raced outside, clapping my hands loudly, and I yelled, no blowjobs, and they just laughed. Some of them even growled at me. Oh, oh. oh no! Welcome to Queer Horror Cult. Today we are here, we're queer, and we're finally talking about cruising from 1980. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it feels long overdue given uh, the nature of this podcast. No kidding. It's, when I did a quick Google search, it seems every movie podcast from a queer or LGBT or gay perspective or anything like that has tackled cruising at some point. Makes so, sense. Oh, it's it's rife. It's just rife for the mm-hmm. uh, tackling. Before we hop into that, I just wanted to mention that we are closing in on 10,000 unique downloads. Mm-hmm. We're at uh, just over uh, 8,500. It would be really cool to hit that by our anniversary. The which 10,000 is, mark. Yeah, which is yeah. October 31st. So now more than ever, if you've been wanting to sort of spread the joy, uh, I think we'll I think we'll do it, but just to hedge our bets, uh, if you want to spread the joy, tell people about the podcast, get them listening. You'd really appreciate it. Yeah. But cruising. This was, uh, just for a brief brown, uh, background, it's from 1980. It's by William Friedkin of The Exorcist fame. And stars Al Pacino and Paul Sorvino and Karen Allen. I say stars Karen Allen. Most of her performance like ended up on the cutting room floor. She's barely in the movie, mm. but you know she's uh, credited pretty high in this one. Um, True. This movie got a lot of controversy when it first came out. We'll get into a lot of why that was and perhaps how we sort of view that because I feel like maybe our opinion's more popular now than it would have been at the time. But Absolutely. It's one of those things where a lot of the criticisms, I appreciate where they're coming from, but at the same time, it's like, well, I have criticisms for the criticisms. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, this movie's based on a book, and it's also based on a series of killings that happened in New York City where body parts were turning up in trash bags in the Hudson River. Mm. And... Yeah, if you hear those odd little knocks and stuff, uh, our very noisy neighbors are being extra noisy today doing some uh, constructions out on their front lawn. Yeah, we put off recording all of yesterday because they were band practice, they're recording their music or something, which, okay, that's fine. That's you know, enough, yeah. Whatever. We know they practice on Friday nights. Um, but Yesterday was Sunday. Yesterday was like... Sunday, but it's, we're like, hey, it's a long weekend, live and let live, that's cool. Mm-hmm. We'll record tomorrow, and we sit down to record, and now some contractor or something is outside building a new f- set of front steps for them or some shit, so yeah, we're just cursed. 
Yeah, we're cursed. So you might hear some sawing, some hammering in the background. Uh, I'll try and like bring those levels down as best I can, but I'm not that proficient of an audio engineer. Because, you know, you can put giant square, scare quotes around audio engineer on my resume, that's for sure. Um, audio cowboy. Audio cowboy. <laughs> I love it. Cowboys are really gay. Yeah, they are. They are gay true. culture. It is gay culture. Um, Speaking not, of which, cruising. Yeah, cruising, cruising. <laughs> This movie was widely criticized for the gay culture it was presenting. I suppose uh, to get into what that is, a real brief encapsulation of the plot is much like what it's based on. There's body parts turning up in the Hudson River in trash bags. They can't figure out the cause of death. They can't figure out where the body parts are coming from, but they know that there must be a murderer on the loose. It's probably a serial killer. Yeah. And then... They also get a series of brutal slayings involving uh, gay men mm-hmm. that they, they're sort of linking in their minds. They think it might be connected to the trash bag murders. And so they decide to get a sort of rookie cop played by uh, Al Pacino to go undercover, like, you know, deep undercover kind of thing, to infiltrate the gay scene in the area where victims seem to be coming from and see if they can track down the killer. So Al Pacino has to take up a fake name, moves to uh, West Village, which, you know, like the gay village kind of thing, and he starts going out at night trolling the leather bars and uh, the, the gay clubs and the parks and stuff that are a big part of the underground gay scene in that particular area. And that's kind of where this movie got a lot of its criticism from. So we have our, like you mentioned, the leather clubs, yeah. bondage stuff, men who were half-naked, lots of jock straps, so many jock straps. Yeah, I was commenting on that. It's one of those things where, like, has the jockstrap fallen out of favor, or is it just one of those things that's not as prevalent in the normative world's mind as far as gay culture not goes? Not that we go to any gay clubs. We don't even go to, like, the one that's the one gay club in town that's supposed to be for everybody, but it's... <laughs> yeah. It's a very mainstream cis male gay kind yeah. of club. And maybe maybe on some nights there you would see some jockstraps, but yeah. we wouldn't know because we are... Shut-ins. Or shut-ins, yeah. yeah. I will say, since Queer Horror Cult has followed a lot of more gay pages on Instagram, I have seen a lot more jockstraps in my life. So yeah, so they're at least still there in these, I like, aesthetic think, posts. Yeah, I don't think they've gone away completely. No. But there was there was a lot of jockstrap action. A lot of jockstrap action. action. Uh, it's funny that you mentioned that, just before we keep going. Apparently, when scouting location, William Friedkin was going around these bars wearing nothing but shoes, socks, and a jockstrap to try and blend in. Amazing. So. Probably blended in perfectly. That or they thought he was a cop. I don't know. <laughs> it would go one of two ways. <laughs> yeah, it's like, okay, try hard. <laughs> hey, good for him. So, yeah, these are all very sexualized spaces. Yep. With a lot of public sex happening, or semi-public, I guess. Like, you mm-hmm. could argue that these places are... some Other than, like, Central Park and whatnot, these places are largely private institutions. But it's still... There is a public gathering happening there. And it's yeah. places where, like, you'd probably get arrested. Even right. straight people. Maybe a little less likely they might get less let off with a warning. Yeah. But yeah, these this like public sexuality and public displays of sex acts. Mm-hmm. And also you have the hanky code that is so you're going out like straight up displaying like 
you know, the yellow one in this side means that you give golden showers, but on the other side it means you like to receive them. So, like, you're wearing it on your sleeve. I love the scene when he's at the uh, little sort of, like, bodega Mm -hmm. on the street, and he's asking the guy about the hankies, and he's just, like, giving him the hanky coat stuff. He's like, hey, you buy anything? He's like, I think I'm going to go home and think about it. Make the right choice. Or I think, he's like, I think you'll make the right choice or something. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, he, he, I don't know, he'd believably be some, like, baby gay from out of, you know, from some small town somewhere upstate or whatever who's coming to the big city and is just in and over his head. Yeah, he doesn't seem to out himself as a cop Mm-mm. in that moment. Um, no, if anything, it comes off as like, oh, how quaint, how another quaint. one. Yeah. He'll be he'll be in it soon enough. But yeah, the backlash uh, presumably largely had to do with the negative perception, you know, that this idea that gay, being a gay man is to always be sexual, be sexualized in some way. And it's also the type of sexuality, because it's very much the leather bar S&M yes, scene. Yes, that's true. Yeah, it's very, like, the public sex, the sex with people that you maybe don't have met them before, don't know their name, you don't know the intimate details of their lives. In, in the movie, they do make the distinction, like, right off the bat when they're first sending uh, Pacino into the, uh, to the... The underground? The, the underground. They, they say this is very different from mainstream gays. Like, they make that distinction they in do, the movie. They do, yeah. And then we see the character Ted Bailey, who is his new neighbor when mm-hmm. Pacino goes undercover, and he is one of those sort of quote-unquote respectable gays. Like, he's a, a playwright who lives in a seemingly monogamous relationship, mm-hmm. and he's um, even mentions that he's too scared to go out and cruise because of the cd aspect of it mm-hmm. kind of thing so he kind of there's that character that embodies the yep. more wholesome gay absolutely and we also see that in the fashion designer couples part yep. way through uh, they're a minor blip in the movie but mm-hmm. yeah but they they provide some kind of entertainment or something for heterosexuals mm-hmm. so they're acceptable they're acceptable and they don't flaunt it in your face like if anything yeah. they're just like a little bit flamboyant but that comes yeah. out in their art and the the culture they create that the heterosexual culture can consume. Yeah. So that's okay. Yeah. They're just like, you know, sassy gay friends or something. And this kind of brings me, and I'm sure you as well, to the point on our criticism of this criticism of the movie is that the criticism feels like, of the movie, felt like it was a huge gambit of respectability politics. Absolutely. Respectability politics. It's this idea that, like, in order to be accepted, you have to be respectable within the dominant society. Yeah, you have to play by their rules 100%. Yeah. It's the whole, like, I'm just like you, I'm not a weirdo, I don't... I'm not up. one of those those dirty queers who likes to go suck yeah. dicks at leather bars or yeah. whatever. I want a family and a marriage and a yeah. steady job and a white picket fence just like you. Yeah, it's like... Um, and I'm not saying that... Res- I, I have an issue with it as a tactic, respectability po- politics. I'm not trying to say the things that it necessarily bears out is bad. Like, I'm not going to shit on someone who wants those God, things. No. But it's like, for example, gay marriage is a kind of a hallmark of respectability yeah. politics. Or it's like, we just want to get married just like you kind yeah. of thing. And for those who that's not their desire, they fuck them, they get left behind. Mm-hmm. That's the best you're going to give them. Yeah, exactly. And if they, yeah, they get left behind, well, they're not good gays anyway. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so it's respectability politics at work, and that's why I'm kind of critical of the criticisms, because it's saying, like, these people that inhabit the leather bars and the parks and are kind of forced underground because of their differing proclivities, these are the people that, they're not like us, they're not the good gays. Yeah, you can still put a wedge between it and hat, and you're still, like, making being gay, some aspects of being gay bad, but... 
it's okay because they're a foil to your goodness. Right. So you can team up with the hegemons to be like, oh yeah, fuck those guys. Yeah. I'm just like you. Right? It's kind of like a throwing under the bus of Absolutely. those that you can. Of the, of the most vulnerable. It's kind of like when you see the descriptions, or not descriptions, the uh, discussions over who belongs in Pride. Yes. Or it's just like, oh, you see the kinky people there. It's like, well, they're not gay inherently like we are. So therefore, they don't deserve to be at Pride. Like Because what about the children? Even though it's literally a, a celebration of sexual identity. Yeah. It's a, yeah. it's a fuck. <laughs> it is. And and this all speaks to, um, we've mentioned this like offhand that uh, Berlant and Warner sex in public paper. I love this paper. As soon as so I good. first read it, I think I've mentioned this before on the podcast even, I cited it for every single paper, paper I wrote. ever wrote after. For my undergrad. For the rest of the undergrad, this paper came up. Exactly. Yeah. It's from 1998. Uh, I think it's Lauren Berlant and Michael Warner. That sounds correct. Yeah. Lauren or Lauren. I'm pretty sure Lauren. I think it's Lauren. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I just, I read over it again quickly before we started recording because yeah. it's, it's been a while. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I got more out of it than I think I did maybe in the past or based on what I remember. And so this idea of respectability politics really ties into this national this national project of heterosexuality that they talk about. Right. So they say national heterosexuality is the mechanism by which a core national culture can be imagined as a sanitized space of sentimental feeling and immaculate behavior, a space of pure citizenship, and that it is able to organize hegemonic the hegemonic national public around sex in a way that is invisible. Yes. So by this, I mean through things like tax benefits for married couples and or those who have children mm-hmm. for the rights of married couples to like share their finances, for, to have like the tax cuts, certain benefits, to ha- have the right to make medical decisions for their spouse, yeah. all these things. Even though we don't see them as sexualized necessarily, they're organized around sex in a very invisible way. Yeah, these and things, heterosexual sex specifically. Yeah, heterosexual, heteronormative sex is basically like at the root of all these things if you pull it far enough back. But it's been so heavily privatized that we don't see it as sexualized. But, ha- you know, get it. What's the purpose of marriage originally is, you know, the transfer of property. Be basically a public declaration mm-hmm. that you're allowed to fuck now. Well, well, what was the great example that came up in class when we were discussing this paper where it's just like, you know, you have a uh, like a strip club next to a maternity shop kind of thing. And they're both dealing with sex just Absolutely. in very different ways. Yes. Kind of thing. Yes. And, and one's acceptable. One is one lewd is not. and unseemly. Mm-hmm. And the, whereas the other one, the sex, the sex act is made invisible and made private. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like we talked about before where it's just like when people say like, I'm trying to have kids kind yeah. of thing. They're just basically saying like, we're fucking a whole bunch fucking. and like bare back nutting in my pussy. And like, <laughs> Like, when you actually get... I know, right? It makes you laugh, but it's just like, that's what they're telling you. But it's this privatization that it becomes invisible in a way that benefits heterosexuality while making homosexuality and, like, non-heterosexual forms of intimacy and sex and relations not only, like, public, but, like, this Uh big, like, dirty, seedy, like, disgusting unsanitary like you know what i mean like it's it's just it's like it doesn't have respectability it, exactly yeah. exactly and um intimacy is one thing i mentioned Sperlant and warner also note that the normativity of heterosexual culture links intimacy only to the institutions of personal life making them the privileged institutions of social reproduction the accumulation and transfer of capital and self-development so not only has sex itself been privatized or what we see as sex 
aka usually P and V, like reproductive, whatever. Yeah. But also intimacy itself is a privatized thing that has become it's it's only with the family. Yes. It's apolitical. It's it's at home, it's separate from work, it's separate from politics, it's separate from the public sphere. It's something that has become so privatized and individualized to certain families that all of a sudden these possibilities for like intimacy with community building, intimacy with non-kin and are not like blood relations and stuff, it becomes either impossible or just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Seemingly ridiculous. I don't think it's ridiculous, but it's just like, no, like when you, the, the whole misattrib- or misquoted, the, the whole blood is thicker than water, mm-hmm. even though it's really the blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb. Mm-hmm. But this idea that like this privatized family unit is above all else, the only form of legitimate intimacy, the idea that marriage is the, is the ultimate expression of love. Yeah. That's one of the things that um, when the U.S. finally legalized same-sex marriage, the uh, Supreme Court justice, I think, was probably even... RBG says something about like marriage is the is the ultimate expression of true love like basically this thing that privil- privileged it yeah. put it on this massive pedestal over every other form of love of intimacy of relationships and it's, it's just like wow it's basically assimilating queer it is assimilating like, yeah. exactly and for those who don't who can't be assimilated it's saying fuck you yeah. you don't matter as much well it's like going back to the pride parade debate where it's like who belongs here it's those that that are seemingly political with their intimacy mm-hmm. and their sexuality. Those are the ones that... Invisible and public. Yeah, those are the ones that kind of, like, that's where the hubbub comes about, where it's just like, oh, we can't have all these, uh, like, so-called dirty queers running around, mm-hmm. you know, flaunting their sexuality when we just want it to show we're just like you kind of thing. Like, mm-hmm. it's a just-like-you parade is yeah. uh, the sanitized version that's always monopolized by corporations and stuff oh, like yeah, that. Oh, yeah, so easily t- mono- like taken up by corporations mm-hmm. and stuff because, of course, it creates a new consumer base for us, yeah. but they're similar enough to the one we already have that it's palatable enough for them to say, okay. You they can, can do that rainbow you, marketing. Too, yeah, you, can, you just, can come buy stuff from us too. It won't repel too many of the heteros. It's pride. Let's slap a rainbow on it and mark it up mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah, and put like rainbow facades on our banks while we contribute to youth homelessness which disproportionately affects lgbtq youth etc etc so cruising 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 it's funny actually jumping off the pride parade thing and wheeling it back into the berlin and warner thing is it's funny that in the sanitized version the debate is over whether cops belong at pride where what we see in cruising is how homophobic and brutal the police force is towards the queer and gay community yeah i think um we said this about one of this movies involving sex work but another it goes for this one too like the the least believable part of this movie is that the police actually give a shit enough to look into that's one thing i actually liked about this movie was that they the police didn't come across as all that sympathetic though that's true because like for example we get the scene where the guy the pressure on the uh the captain to get this solved is purely because it looks bad yeah it's all statistics it's all numbers like the big thing is they say wrap this up before the democratic convention comes to town (laughs) and it's just saying where it's like it's not wrap this up before another person dies no it's wrap this up before we get bad heat for having not wrapped it up. Sooner. Exactly. Yeah, that's true. Like the, but for them to go as far as to send someone undercover, it's just that that, yeah. that was the thing that got me. That's just like, really? You would go to that length? Yeah. Like, I, I just think of the Bruce MacArthur thing in Toronto in the last few years where, like, for over 10 years, there was a serial killer operating in the gay village. Mm-hmm. The people living there and 
existing there. Like, yeah, we there's somebody who's preying on us. Went to the police, got laughed off. And then now that there was finally somebody caught, the police are double, you know, turning around saying, oh, well, if they would have cooperated with us sooner, maybe we could have saved some lives. And it's like they tried to cooperate with you for over a decade and you laughed them off. So well, they just stopped like, fucking bothering. That shows up in this movie so much. Yeah. Like in the opening scene of the movie, we have those two cops driving the gay strip. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of them is uh, played by... Uh, Oh my god, I'm so mad. It's Joe Spinell. Oh, I almost forgot his name. Mr. Maniac himself from Maniac. Mm-hmm. Um, he's one of the cops, and he's sitting there just, like, complaining about how much he hates his wife for leaving him kind of thing, and mm-hmm. his partner's just, like, women are scum, and then they immediately flip onto, look at all these queers and fairies on the street. What's the world coming to? Like, they go from that typical mock machismo mm-hmm. misogyny right into the typical machismo homophobia. Mm-hmm. But anyway, they end up picking up these two trans women. And, uh... Who are working girls. They're working girls, and they've been brought in before, but the cops pick them up only to drive them to a secluded alley and sexually assault Extort them. Extort sex out yeah. of them, basically. So, yeah. Um, Abuse their power and sexually assault women that they have in yeah. their custody. But then what we get later is one of the women is in at the, the police station... Uh, I guess is sort of a prob- probably an exchange for not being locked up, is kind of an informant, mm-hmm. uh, is helping them like look through some books on people in the scene that have been arrested like saying like this guy couldn't be a killer this guy might be and all that Mm -hmm. and at that point she asked to see the captain in private and lays a complaint against the cops from the beginning of the movie by name Mm -hmm. gives them the name gives them the precinct number and everything and they're just like there's nothing we can do of course so this is showing that the queer community is coming out and being like hey this is a problem that's happening can the police do something and they're saying there's nothing we can do there's nothing we can do about it and we see this cop who was uh victimizing them at the start he shows up constantly throughout the movie like he's just constantly in the scene Mm kind of thing um and uh, the other part that reminds me of the uh, the case in Toronto is how the community knows mm-hmm. and the cops aren't doing anything, even though the community's known forever. Like, you've got that, uh, what's his name? Uh, Ted Bailey, we mentioned, the more mm-hmm. respectable gay. He's in there and he's talking to Pacino's character when he's undercover. Yep. And he's talking to him about how the cops aren't doing anything. We know there's a killer. Mm-hmm. There's... Like, he mentions that they all know about the Columbia professor who was killed and presumably kept out of the news that the right. cops know about kind yeah. of thing. It's like, yeah, we know what's going on. Yeah, we know what happened The public at large doesn't seem to, but we as a community know what's going on mm-hmm. and the cops aren't doing shit about it. Yeah. No, the thing that I, I think really, that I was like, oh, man, that's good. I'm so glad they included that was when I think it's Pacino's... Or it was either Pacino or it was um, the sergeant, but they were, one of them was talking to that trans woman who had been yeah. um, taken into custody and on the street and was ask, you know, asking her uh, some questions and stuff, just kind of in public, like, just yeah. having a discussion. And when they mentioned that the, pol- or no, I think I think it was Pacino's character, because so sorry, he was he was undercover and he's saying, well, you know, the police, they, they're, they're doing the best they can kind of yeah. thing. I think... I think they are looking for this guy and she, and this, the, the woman, she says like, oh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if when they find him, they make him, you know, promote him to a member of vice squad Yeah, because he I would fit that. right the fuck in. Yeah. And it's just like, there it is. Mm, there it is. Yeah. Yes. 
Yeah, uh, no, I, I think Friedkin, he's even said as such, but he very deliberately made a poison point to show that the homophobia was rampant in the police. And still is, well. yeah. Um, <laughs> I know this was at the time, but it, nothing has changed. One in particular I can think of is when the, uh, Pacino sort of like fingers that one dude as a possible mm-hmm. guy. His name, what is he? He's a Stu? No, no. Um, he had a nickname. Uh, Skip. 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 Yeah. It was Skip Lee. Um, they bring him in and they... First, they do a sting that seems like entrapment, practically. Yeah. Oh, where, it, it um, absolutely they, they, is. They uh, get uh, Pacino to invite him up to uh, an apartment mm-hmm. and then tries to get him to tie him up and then tries to get him to threaten him kind of thing. And yeah. Like, like, they're trying to basically set him up as the fall because they want him to be guilty so it can just be over with, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, when they can't get a good radio reception, they just charge in way too soon anyway. Yeah. Arrest the guy and then violently interrogate him. Mm-hmm. And, okay, this they is the most... him. Probably and... the most iconic moment where it's just <laughs> so what the fuck, where the uh, Pacino and Skip are both in the interrogation thing presumably being interrogated together as a couple. Like, Skip does not know that Pacino's a cop. They're yeah. playing it like he is. Mm-hmm. Um, like, hell, the other cops, I don't know how many of them even know that Pacino's a cop right. at this point. They're yeah. interrogating the both of them. And then all of a sudden, one of them just goes and opens this door, and there's this huge, ripped fucking cop wearing nothing but a jockstrap and boots, cowboy hat thing. Like, this dude, he just walks in and backhands Pacino in the face, knocking him on the ground, and then Pacino's just like, what the hell was that? Kind of thing. Like, no no clue what's going on. But then they get him back in later to sort of beat on the other guy, and, and Skip is just like, who the hell is that guy? And that's like, what, what is all this? Thinking. It's yeah. like, you're saying what we as an audience are thinking. And they, like, never address it. Yeah, I love when uh, they pull Pacino out of there, supposedly, to interrogate him separately, separately. but then that's where they can have a moment to talk yeah. about what the case is and all that, like, mm-hmm. treat him as a cop again. The fucking guy that they got to beat them in the interrogation room is just sitting in a chair, nonchalant, just, like, reading a paper kind of thing. <laughs> He's just there, just like, hey. <laughs> do you have to do that, man? That's, so- like, wow. But the cops basically, they are threatening him constantly, this skip guy. They get to the point where they force him, they beat him, force him to pull his pants off, and tell him they're going to make him jerk off so they can get a semen sample out of him. But of course they make it the most, like, humiliating yeah. thing possible. Yeah. It's like, they're so overstepping their bounds in yeah. so many fucking ways, and they're constantly referring to them as, like, ladies and, like, you know, feminizing them mm-hmm. and, um, like, just general homophobic rhetoric that that is just so fucking familiar to anyone who's been at the receiving end of that homophobic rhetoric or even just observed it yeah it's it's fucked up um there's more to this movie than just the homophobia and the police force of course Mm -hmm. uh one thing in particular is the representation of the gay community in this as we mentioned it was heavily criticized for being this very specific uh sort of like subculture within gay culture a very uh, like unapologetically sexualized one too absolutely absolutely not a sanitized mainstream yeah yeah no this takes place largely in the leather bars and uh we see them like in the parks where they yep. go cruising well i mean Hence just the like the title goes cruising yeah uh, a lot of the bars are set in the meatpacking district which you know is sort of true to life for for what was going on mm-hmm. where there were all these bars and clubs that were literally underground yeah kind of thing Places called like the Anvil and Ramrod and stuff like mm-hmm. that. 
these lovely names. Nothing quite as on the nose as Irreversible's rectum. But... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, God, where they're looking for the tapeworm in the rectum because the tapeworm's that dude's nickname. Yeah, yes. Fuck. Ugh. Yeah, okay, as much as people criticize cruising for its depictions and all that stuff, it's like, whoa, Irreversible with its uh, right total, like, them, them dirty birds. Like, hold the, my wine. Yeah. I don't know how to say that in French. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or I would. Um... But it's one thing of note that I thought was perfect, and they even point this out in the movie with getting Pacino to uh, go undercover, is half the dudes there look like Pacino. They do. There were so many times where, like, they even mentioned that, I think. They're yep, like, they these do. Guys the look copies like just like, these guys all look like you. Yeah, so you fit right in. And but it, I was there were times where I'm like, is he with a guy? Oh, no, that's not him. Yeah. And, like, I had to do that double That was definitely tape. a very deliberate choice. Yes. Especially because one thing, they did that with the killer as well. Like, the killer mm-hmm. does not look dissimilar. He's nope. got the dark hair, dark eyes, kind of similar build, similar face structure. Yeah, it looks like he could be, you know, descendant of some Southern European immigrants yep. a generation or two ago kind of thing. Um, but one thing they did, they did with the movie, I believe, is when we see the killer killing kind of thing, like in the early things. I'm not talking about the main suspect who they they follow and all mm-hmm. that stuff. But they got a different actor to play the killer. Mm. They just kept using different people that looked similar. So oh, there's wild. always this ambiguity of like what's going on. Like every time you see him, he looks kind of different. Yeah, but the, ha- the hair remains the same. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. It's, it's sort of like fitting in with that same kind of like type, mm-hmm. but anonymizing who the killer is. And yeah. so Pacino fits right in with the crowd as well as with the, the victim killer. pool yeah. and the killer's pool. Yeah. Like it's, it, it's all kind of blended well, together. That's, that's really interesting because one of the, that anonymous aspect, that's one of the things that's, you know, the respectable gays criticize, or everybody really criticizes about this gay scene is, is mm-hmm. that the idea of like anonymous sex and like that separate, supposedly separating what we understand as this privatized intimacy that legitimates sex from the sex act itself. It's, so the idea that Everyone in the community knows something's the matter. They know the victims. They know what's happening. They have an intimacy with them while the killer is the anonymous one. It's like, oh, that's so interesting. Mm -hmm. I hadn't thought about that before. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I thought that was a really clever way Mm -hmm. of of doing it. That's for sure. Sorry, with the construction going on in the background, (laughs) I I feel like it's almost like a good uh, ambience to like the sort of like gritty industrial machine yeah, it's really shop like working kind class. of like, <laughs> like bars that they inhabit so we can just pretend that we're just you know down in the anvil doing just this recording it on the pier yeah. or something yeah yeah another thing about the clubs is there's this and this familiarity or the similarity is the leather aspect of it like everyone's mm-hmm. also dressed the same like what like is a uniform. up with the nazi-esque kind of thing like everyone has that sort of hat that like nazi commander hat that's yeah that has like the bird and the yeah i saw that i was like is that a nazi thing or is that just trekking like a little close for comfort i'm not actually sure that eagle it's definitely very fascistic it is and i find that interesting where we have the cops infiltrating the leather bar where it's like the fash inside the fash and then there's that one bar where they're having precinct night where everyone's literally dressed as a cop and then the undercover cop gets ejected because he doesn't look cop enough for cop night yes yeah i thought that was pretty funny Mm -hmm. but like you get down there and everyone's got handcuffs everyone's it's like it almost is mirroring, like, police sexualized violence kind of thing, where, like, there's that part where the guy in the background is getting the dude to fillet his nightstick kind of thing, and it's, like, I can't think of, like, a better image of, like... Like, it reminds me of the Dead Kennedy song, Police Truck, where he's just, like, um, I've got a big black stick, so suck on my dick kind of mm-hmm. thing. And um, It's very sexualized violence. Yeah, exactly, and yeah. it's that very fascistic kind of thing, so... 
I'm not trying to say that leather bars or the leather scene is fascist at all oh God, remotely, no. but it's like it's interesting that there's that imagery. Yeah, up. and it's I think some of it very well could be it's taking almost- that which threatens them and sexualizing it, like yeah. not in a way that makes it the oppressors like valorized or anything, no, but in no, a way no, that like takes some power back and is able to like take a trauma and like eroticize it rather than suffer from it. Yeah, yeah. It's Which like, is another thing that a lot of people get really uncomfortable with and understandably so. Because there's definitely a dominance aspect. Yeah. But, but that doesn't necessarily equate to a fascistic kind of no, aspect. No, and it's not like a harming No, not at like, all. Like authoritarian. Like, we see things like we see the dude on that giant rack when he's getting fisted kind yeah. of thing. And it's just like it's a very submissive kind of thing. Yeah. Or there's the first hookup that turns into a murder scene. There's a lot of boot worship imagery yeah. where like there's it shows their feet when one guy's sitting on the bed and the other guy's standing next to it they both got leather boots and mm-hmm. the guy just reached out and just caressing the one guy's yeah. boots uh, before he lets them tie it up kind of thing that's right and it's just got this very like the boot worship thing it's mm-hmm. it's uh yeah exactly um it's just this very interesting imagery because I felt like there was a lot of sort of power imagery mm-hmm. going on without it necessarily like it's a subversion of like domination but within the uh dominance thing because you've got the submissives and the and the doms all sort of wearing the same kind of uniform and it requires so much trust yeah right? as opposed to like an abuse of power it's like yeah. i don't know a weird subverting eroticization of yeah. power it's weird because there's this veneer like you see this is kind of like pointing back at the whole respectability politics and the like we don't like this depiction of queer culture because uh it, it has that veneer of domination, like, in this way that gets misread. Mm-hmm. As it has the fascistic violence done yeah. by the police. And uh, so it's one of those things where it's, I, I don't know, it's, like, I, I get where the uh, criticism may have come from, especially mm-hmm. because with a gay culture not being as mainstream as it is, not trying to say that it's hit the mainstream, I still have a lot of issues with pretending that queerness is mainstream in a very normative structure. Beyond just, like, two happy white cis gays. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But that said, it was even more under the ground. Absolutely. Uh, back then, hence the underground bars, the public parks at night, on, yeah. and all that kind of stuff. The peep show. There's, like, that scene in the CD peep show mm-hmm. kind of thing, where we see that respectable gay from the, from the fashion boutique driving. Like, he's in his sports car, and he's talking about, like, oh, I've got to do these alterations for these movie stars' wardrobe. Mm-hmm. I've got this, this, this. And then he drives to the dark side of town and <laughs> goes into this CD CD uh, peep show place where there's just dudes, like... Okay, first off, holy shit, I'm getting on so many tangents here, but... What is up with how crowded these scenes are? Like, I think I commented when we were watching this. It's like, in this one stretch of park, there's more gay dudes than there probably are in all of Edmonton. Right. <laughs> kind of thing. Like, that's what it feels like because of how desperate our like, yeah. gay scene is here. True. The guys in this seedy sort of bar full of these dudes, there's like this grimy punk rock playing and it's a perfect scene for a murder where it's in right. such close quarters, but the guy manages to kill someone and just walk away. Mm-hmm. No no one notices. Like it's kind of playing up that sort of seedy mm-hmm. anonymous kind of aspect that's yeah. uh, sort of at the heart of the criticisms of, of the uh, movie. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I feel like that was one scene in particular that kind of blurred the lines for me between... Um, the validity of the criticism versus the, like, is the movie as aware or is it just kind of falling mm. into those traps it's being criticized for, for the oh, okay. violence of anonymous sex. 
Right. Because um, this uh, preempted the AIDS crisis kind of thing. by a few years. Yeah. Um, No, I was just, when you're talking about how there's so many, like, that's where it's like, whoa, it's like every gay man in New York at this peep show or at this club, at this, like, place in the park right now or something. Like, whoa, where do they all come from? Out of the woodwork. Um, Berlant and Warner mention, because they were writing in 98, so sort of post-AIDS crisis, but around the time that there's a lot of, um, like in New York specifically, a lot of rezoning laws happening that are, all these like economic things that are basically going to practically eliminate all, but I think it said like 28 of the over 100 kind of of these sexualized spaces that gay men congregate in. And so they they note that um, over the decades, these sexualized public spaces were how gay men have learned or had learned to find each other and okay. to map to map a commonly accessible world and to construct the architecture of queer space in a homophobic environment okay. and that so it's not like they're all that they're all like sex perverts or whatever but it's like this was this was the one means mm-hmm. of accessing people like you yeah and when you're already and then when you're or, and then when the organization of a community the basis of it is sexuality that makes sense that they would start out as like sexualized spaces yeah. through which community building would happen through which politics would be done through which organizing and all these things would take place well yeah i guess it's all good and well to sit there and disparage these like public park rendezvous and underground bars and all that stuff but it's not like you could go to a malt shop as like a group of bears and like right? enjoy like your sort of like picturesque 1950s diner date exactly and like that was not even remotely an accessible thing exactly so but it's back to this privatization privatization of intimacy where none of this is construed as intimate it's all just this like pure id sex compulsion like they're they're dehumanizing themselves well, it's even really the idea of anonymous sex where apparently yeah. anonymity and intimacy cannot go together yes. for some reason and this is another thing that berlant and warner go over kind of briefly is i'll just read the block quotation out rather than trying to summarize it um in gay male culture the principal scenes of criminal intimacy have been tea rooms streets sex clubs and parks a tropism towards the public toilet Promiscuity is so heavily stigmatized as non-intimate that it is often called anonymous, whether names are used or not. One of the most commonly forgotten lessons of AIDS, which of course is post-cruising, but almost in that same time, in the same decade at least, but one of the most commonly forgotten lessons of AIDS is that this promiscuous intimacy turned out to be a life-saving public resource, since the, you know they were abandoned by experts essentially and told, oh, it's just a gay disease, a gay virus, whatever. Gay people invented safer sex, and they um, quote someone named Douglas Crimp, who wrote in 1987, We were able to invent safe sex because we had always known that sex is not, in an epidemic or not, limited to penetrative sex. Our promiscuity taught us many things, not only about the pleasures of sex, but about the great multiplicity of those pleasures. It is that psychic preparation, that experimentation, that conscious work on our own sexualities that has allowed many of us to change our sexual behaviors, something that brutal behavior therapies tried unsuccessfully for over a century to force us to do very quickly and very dramatically. All those who contend that gay male promiscuity is merely sexual compulsion resulting from fear of intimacy are now faced with very strong evidence against their prejudices. Gay male promiscuity should be seen instead as a positive model of how sexual pleasures might be pursued by and granted to everyone if those pleasures were not confined within the narrow limits of institutionalized sexuality. Mic drop. (laughs) 
That's a great quote. Isn't it? Yeah, it's like that, just criticizing that idea that, that, you know, it's seen as so heavily non-intimate that we'll call it anonymous, that we'll call it just like, we disparage it as, as all these things, even if it's not, it's like, they might know each other, they might be buds, they might have, like, just because we don't, we don't think of it as this privatized intimacy doesn't mean that it is therefore the complete opposite of that, but how quickly and easily we can construct it as that and how we've accepted that as sort of like the cultural, like, stereotype, I guess, of this, like, anonymous right. sex that's just bareback and not giving a shit about the consequences or whatever. And how so these, you know, this respectability politics plays right into that and is like, you know what? Yeah, that's totally true. And as as good gays, fuck those guys. They're so, like, bad and gross and we want nothing to do with them. We want to be just like you. Well, I think respectability politics in that instance, it's that character we're talking about, the uh, fashion designer who goes mm-hmm. to the peep show. That's, yeah. that's respectability politics in action. He goes to the dark side and gets killed for it. Totally, yeah, that's true. Like, it's also how the respectability politics kind of, like, villainized homosexuality when the AIDS crisis did crop up mm-hmm. kind of thing. What, you know, it was a gay disease yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, because of all that promiscuous sex. Yeah. Doesn't happen to to straight people who only have sex in marriage for reproduction. Yeah. And I realize that this is a very very like bush league attempt at tackling the gay crisis we're not actually trying to so much but it's hard to i mean it's easy to see how this movie kind of preempts that Mm -hmm. absolutely Uh, and like kind of like the the, what is happening kind of sets the the stage for for what would come the scapegoating and everything that happened during the AIDS crisis yeah and sure there was more to uh, the idea of it as a gay disease than purely respectability politics, but yeah. there was so so much of the bigotry was born out of that. Absolutely, and I think that's why it's definitely of note. Mm-hmm. Um, another aspect of this movie that I, I think is uh, an interesting look at uh, this particular version of gay culture and the idea of what's respectable in gay culture, but it also plays into fears. Like, homosexual mm-hmm. panic mm-hmm. is the way Pacino's character... Oh, God, yeah. ...fits into this narrative. Yes. Because um, at the very start, when uh, the captain pulls him into the office to ask him about... To get him to the assignment, he asks him about it by saying, like, have you ever had your cock sucked by another man? And then he's just like, what? Like, laughing. Thing, what like, are you this talking about? a real question. Oh, yeah, no, you're and joking. And he just immediately goes into, like, all these, like, have you done this gay act, that gay act, setting these very almost crude-esque kind of, like... Extremely crude. Like, um, cliches, almost. Mm-hmm. Like, this is a cliche, prejudicial look. Like, there's a, there's a crassness to it, mm-hmm. even if the acts if there is a homophobia in thinking of the acts themselves as crass, because mm-hmm. I'm not trying to portray it that way. But uh, he's so naive, and he's like, I think you got the wrong guy for this, and that's when he says, no, you're perfect for this, because uh, you're new to the force, you're not recognizable as a cop, and you are recognizable as someone in this scene, because you look so much like the guys that inhabit this scene. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, what would have the police officer done? Like, what would the guy have done? What would uh, Paul Servito have done? Had he been like, yeah, actually... Yeah, that's a good like, point. Where would even like you're like, fired, like, like you know oh, what I you mean? Called my number. Yeah, yeah, like with I mean, like, why? you have Is that no an right, right? Because it's like you have no right to ask an employee that kind of those kind of questions. Yeah. But what if he had said yes? Yeah, because I mean, what if you been like, yeah, you know what? That is my scene, like. And given how much the police force is, like, a militarized thing, think of, like, how no gays in the military kind of thing. It's mm-hmm. like, well, of course, you know. It's like, oh, okay, in that case, you're fired. Like, yeah. yeah. 
but then he he takes a job and uh we see him tell his uh girlfriend that he can't talk about and stuff but immediately after taking the job we get this nice little image of his like very sterilized heterosexuality where it's just like they've got the nice apartment uptown Mm -hmm. they're in each other's arms in a loving embrace and you know it's just like this nice little microcosm that he has for himself Mm -hmm. before he has to whisk away to the west village into this like sort of seedy apartment that's not even very clean Mm -hmm. and this is like the the upscale part Mm -hmm. of the gay culture kind of thing but the first thing he does is he goes into the closet and finds (laughs) goes into the closet (laughs) finds all these like porno magazines like there's one called like mandate I fucking love that so much. Like, a bunch called Honcho and all that. Mm-hmm. And his first action is to take him out and go to throw him in the garbage yeah. kind of thing. So this is kind of where he's at mm-hmm. as a person. Well, the thing that got me that I saw was um, there were times where he would have these, like, all, like almost kind of encounters in the underground gay scene. And then you'd, and then the next shot would be, hit, like, him fucking his girlfriend. Yep. Like, yep. completely... That's what I was going to oh, oh, say. Oh, I'm like, sorry. No, no, that's okay. Like, that, that's <laughs> like, a great that point. That was one of the things I wanted to talk about for sure. It was... immediately has to recoup his heterosexuality. Because, and assert it. Yeah, because, and, and it is at these moments where there is a little bit of that, like, after he's had that uh, bonding moment with Ted Bailey, yeah. after he goes into the clubs and he has guys hit on him. Like, there's that one scene where he tries the hanky code thing. He's got yeah. the yellow code uh, hanky in his pocket. And the guy's like, hey, you into water sports? He's like, I like to watch. He's like, well, then get that fucking hanky out of your pocket if you like to watch, man. Yeah. And he's just like, oh, I had a brush in with, a, like, a scary gay. I better go home and fuck my girlfriend. I'm stick my dick in a, in a woman in yeah. a, so that I can tell myself I'm still straight and I'm not a failure straighty. But but I love the, the arc his character takes in that, in that thing where as he gets further into the culture, the more he gets... Like, the assimilation goes the other way rather than Mm -hmm. the respectability. Like, you gays are okay when you're just like us. It's like, you're okay when you're like us kind of thing. Like, his leather outfit gets more elaborate. Like, eventually we see him with the hat and the shades and he looks exactly like the killer. He looks exactly like everyone else Mm -hmm. in the scene. Um, he's wearing his keys on the right, which is, you know, like, that's more gay gay code kind of thing. I I always thought of that from the Frank Zappa song. Mm. Um, um, he's so gay where it's like with his keys on all right yeah <laughs> um, his girlfriend at one point notes notes like why don't you ever like want to be with me anymore mm-hmm. like uh, still unaware of what his undercover thing yeah. is so you have that set like their relationship is drifting apart for sure yeah um their intimacy specifically yeah um and then also I don't know he has this really like like intimate I guess moment with Ted where Ted's like you know in, in it like really like upset I don't remember what it's about exactly I think it's about his uh Gregory his, That's his what partner I, yeah, coming th- back and he's like now I have to give up my dream of being a playwright to go work right yeah it's like relationship things and he's just and he, all like and all he can bring himself to say is like I, I wish there was something I could do for you or yeah. I wish I could help you mm-hmm. and it's like wow you're like humanizing him as a bud that's yeah, yeah, awesome yeah. um a big, big moment that happens, of course, is when he's uh, down in the club. and The he the, being Pacino? Pacino, Sorry, I talked yes. a lot about sorry, the he's, sorry, yeah. so I just want to be clear. Pacino's in the club, and this guy comes up to him, and he's just like, like, hey, how's it going? And Pacino's immediately like, I'm with someone. And he's just like, aren't we all? Aren't Want to dance? Yeah. And so he goes to the dance floor, and then it's him, like, sort of, like, awkwardly bopping along in there, but then he starts getting into it. He has a blast, it's, yeah. Uh, he starts huffing, like, is it like poppers? He's huffing Probably. some kind of glove drug, drug out of the dude's hanky. So yeah. it's like such hanky coat thing. Yeah. And um, and then he's just really getting into it. The music starts blaring. Oh, yeah. He's, he's just working up a sweat. He's oh, being yeah. watched by everyone. And it's like he's... It, it strikes me as he's enjoying the fucking moment. Hell kind yeah. Of thing. Like he's 
becoming a part of it. And I can't remember if it's shortly before or shortly after this beat where it shows him talking to the captain. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, I don't know if I can do this anymore. Right, Like, yeah. I don't know if I'm cut out for it. It's like almost he's having this gay panic he's, over yeah, how he's much he's... Yeah, he's enjoying it too much. Yeah. Which is funny because what he's enjoying is still, like, compared to the other stuff, is... N- it's not... I mean, it's, it's sexualized for sure, I guess. Yeah. Like, dancing snorting drugs out of somebody's hanky like yeah that can be sexualized but it's not sexual like he's not you know actually engaging in any kind of sex but that's just that it's the homophobic gay panic it, it is where yeah it's because like i'm seen with these people i'm ingratiating yes, myself with yeah. them. therefore because oh no the gayness think, might rub off yeah exactly and i'm assuming that that's sexual because i think what he's enjoying there is like community and yeah. a sense of belonging which is again that intimacy that is non-sexualized but has been privatized and is so associated with sex that he's like, oh, th- therefore it turns into a gay panic because therefore if I'm enjoying this, any aspect of this, I must be, like, gay or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, like, and then, yeah, leads to that panic, that recuperation. That, well, it's like, that, there's that scene with the, the captain where he yeah, panics Yeah, I don't think stuff. I can do this. Like, um, that was actually brought up in the liner notes on, we watched Arrow Video's new restoration that, like, just came out mm-hmm. of this movie. It looked fucking fabulous. Um, but there's the liner notes in there, and in it, the, the guy talks about that sequence where it's just, like, it's interesting how he has this gay panic, but then the straight cop who is there, his, his like, one anchor to the normative world, because, mm-hmm. as, you know, he has to disappear. Yeah, and he can only meet with him, it. like, once a month or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, his anchor refers to me as, like, you're my partner, and I need you to yes, be there for me. that's right. And it's almost like this weird normative version of that gay coded language like that's what they point to in the liner notes and Uh, it's kind of this interesting sort of juxtaposition to Mm -hmm. his gay panic yeah it's just like let me set you straight using this coded language like i'm your male partner yeah and i need you yeah and it's just uh it's it's an interesting little dichotomy going there yeah i had noticed that that's that's a good point but as he gets subsumed by the culture this is a part of where the worry about the what's the homophobia of the movie comes back for me where it's suggested that perhaps Pacino is the killer or a killer kind Mm -hmm. of thing, because they don't link all the crimes up. Like they have the guy for the peep show because his thumbprint is on the quarter, but he refuses to cop to any of the other murders that are the regular murders. They don't really have a solid connection to the trash bag murders. They it's can't, more can't a even, hunch. like, identify the victims. Um, and it's one of those things that it's, with the way they shot all these different people playing the killers, it's kind of like, is there more than one killer? Is this guy even the killer? Like, mm-hmm. it's... Or was this just, like, a one-off, like, thing? Yeah, like, it's yeah. Uh, such a, uh, a mishmash mm-hmm. of, like, what's going on. And after they've bagged him, uh... Ted Bailey is murdered, and mm-hmm. they think it's in a lover's tryst, but it's with a kitchen knife, but it resembles the other murders in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. and we've seen Pacino acting, like, super aggressive towards um, Ted's partner, yeah. and, like, barge in and get violent with him and all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. and there's just this kind of, this is where the captain realizes, he doesn't even know where Pacino's staying, he realizes that Pacino is his neighbor, Mm-hmm. and disappears because he yeah. drops the name he's like wait what was that name yeah and um it's funny all these revelations happening to the captain there because the cop who tells him that he recognizes the name from the complaint filed against him by the trans woman at the start of the movie where he's just like um 
He's like, wait, it's you. I recognize that name, Sixth Precinct, right? And the guy's like, yeah. And he goes, okay. And just, like, doesn't right. follow yeah. it through. So it's just, like, all of these fucking threads are coming together. Mm-hmm. And we get, it flips to a scene of Pacino shaving in the mirror. He's like, let me just get this off my face. And I am back to tell you everything about my little journey kind yes. of thing. And he's just staring deeply into his reflection as... Um, Nancy is the character's name, played by Karen Arlen, his girlfriend, finds his stack of leather just folded on her chair. And it's just like, it's the exact same uniform the killer wears. It's the exact same uniform Pacino has been building up throughout the movie. And that's when we get Pacino staring into the mirror and he just slowly looks like changes. So his reflection staring into the camera. And then we cut to the boat going across the harbor. We all see the girlfriend try it on. Yeah, she tries it on. And so she wears... She looks like a leather daddy. Yeah, she looks like a leather daddy, but it's like the, it's the killer's outfit. It's Pacino's outfit. It's everyone's outfit. Mm -hmm. It's just like the gay uniform. And then uh, (laughs) as we have this realization, it cuts back to the harbor where we opened the movie and found body parts floating. And that's kind of where the movie cuts out. So it's just kind of showing that it makes me wonder... Is this trying to say that this anonymous gay underworld, is it actually dangerous kind of thing, rather than there is a killer that's harming these people? Maybe it is the subculture itself that's harmful. Like, Mm. it's hard to say for me where the movie's politics lie in this sort of end moment. Yeah, it's ambiguous. Because um, just as much as it anonymizes the sex and the hookups like that we talked about with uh, Berlant and Warner's paper... It anonymizes the murders, mm-hmm. too, in a way just beyond the cops don't know who they're after kind of thing. Like, even us as the like the objective viewer outside of the story, it's still so muddled. Mm-hmm. Like, and I found that kind of... I don't know. It's I think it's interesting for sure, but it's uh, it makes me not want to condemn the movie. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it doesn't make me want to say, like, no, they're not problematic at all so stop your whining yeah not that i would but it's one of those things where it's hard to to what the takeaway is as far as the culture being depicted yeah i think i think one thing that would come to its defense would be in the ambiguity of who the killer is specifically being a cop that's true because shows that it's still just like the abuse of power the we need a the numbers are looking making us look bad so that's why we're going to give a shit we need a name a scapegoat and then as soon as that's done things can resume to normal yeah and we don't have to give a shit anymore yeah and so if it's that the vulnerability because yeah the community is very vulnerable but whether it i don't know that's saying that the subculture itself brings danger upon itself versus it's vulnerable to Mm -hmm. danger from those with more power like like the 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 day they'll be taken advantage of yeah or they'll be preyed upon because they know because they don't have that police protection the same way that like if someone was breaking into my house or something Mm -hmm. was happening to me and i complained about it as a you know white reasonably respectable appearing person yeah would have that same like reaction from the police be like oh yeah this we should do something about this because it's a pop- someone from a population that matters. Yeah, and I think a good part of part of that kind of thing too, especially when you mention like being preyed upon, is um, Pacino is undercover, mm-hmm. like he's a cop going like like almost vice kind of style yeah. uh, at the community. Whereas we see the other cop who we know is abusive. Like his first introduction is him assaulting like, the, assaulting yeah. the, the trans woman, and we see him crop up as part of the community. Like he's not undercover. He's not on a sting. He's there. Mm -hmm. Like he's infiltrated it as like an active 
yeah. member of the community kind of thing. Yeah. Where he may be a part of the community, but he's still also an abuser of it. Yeah. So that that's a very and good his, point. His, yeah. his, his being a part of it is probably purely as a consumer. Yep. Like, yeah. that Which is some of the... But yeah, I guess it speaks to... Because there's a lot of like transactional type sex and stuff that yeah. happens. A lot of it's survival based. Mm-hmm. So... It, I, I don't know, it goes back to that, that argument of like, oh, well, is sex work inherently dangerous or yep. is it dangerous because we treat sex workers like shit and yep. we don't view them as fully human and they don't have labor rights or protections the same yep. way that other workers minimally do usually. Because mm-hmm. I'm not going to pretend that like other workers are, especially but ones in precarious positions, have much yeah. in the way of like protections or rights or recognitions like that. Yeah. But at least at the end of the day, they're usually still viewed as somewhat human. Yeah. No, that's that's fair. That's a like I said. I feel like it's hard to know what to take away. It, it is, it. yeah. That said, I really enjoy this movie, mm-hmm. and I will defend it as I don't think it's the piece of shit that it got criticized no. for, as far as being dangerous. And I'm or... I'm gonna guess that the criticisms were more about the like surface representations as opposed to the the ambiguity of the script and Absolutely. what that could possibly no, implicate. The criticisms, a lot of it imply. came out. Of the visuals. During the production. Like, oh, yeah. Like, it was, uh, I believe they handed out whistles and noisemakers to, like, disrupt exterior shoots. It's, like, fuck up their sound. And, like, people, like, shone lights, like, reflective mirrors mm-hmm. to, like, fuck up the lighting. And, like, it was based it was so purely petty. on the existence of the movie being made. As oh, yeah. As opposed to the content. Like, I can't, I don't, I'm not as well versed as in what the criticism after its release was. Sure. But during the making of it, that's where a lot of the more infamous criticism and I'm sure a lot of that came from, like, right-wing, yeah. Bible-thumping, like, mm-hmm. yeah, types as opposed to how dare they represent us like this, yeah. types. Well, back to our respectability once again. I have I have one last Berlant and Warner yeah, passage. Yeah, let's, let's split this off on a Berlant and Warner. Respectable gays like to think that they owe nothing to the sexual subculture they think of as sleazy. But their success, their way of living, their political rights, and their very identities would never have been possible but for the existence of the public sexual culture they now despise. Extinguish it, and almost all out gay or queer culture will wither on the vine. No one knows this connection better than the right. Conservatives would not so flagrantly contradict their stated belief in a market free from government interference if they did not see this kind of hyper-regulation as an important victory. So it goes back to this, that idea that yes, these spaces are... Yes, these spaces are sexualized, but around them and through them, that is where community has grown. That is where politics have emerged. That is where organizing has happened. That is where, you know, Stonewall. Yep. People like to, now it's like the tourism and stuff around it makes it seem like it's a big fucking party or something. It was an anti-police riot against police brutality led by like trans women of color. Yeah. It's like who are largely sex workers too. Abused by the cops at the opening of the movie. These are the people we have to thank Stonewall for. Exactly. And anything, any sort of like progress made in terms of like gay rights and and everything is because of a fucking anti-police riot against police brutality Mm -hmm. led largely by the most marginalized of the community who were involved in the seedy sex work and transactional sex and like underground stuff yeah if it weren't for them we wouldn't have shit that's but yeah so no that's that disparaging now that we're we're above that now it's like have some fucking respect guys come on Honestly, I have so much more I could say about this movie. Like, maybe it'll be worth revisiting. Like, I want to... There's stuff, like, to do with it in terms of, like, horror movie mm-hmm. uh, cliche and how that's subverted by... Yeah, that'd be fun. ...the way things go. So it might be worth returning to this at some point. Um, 
But for now, I think that we got a pretty uh, tight discussion of this in terms of our favorite academic paper. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so if you haven't seen Cruising, check it out. I think it's... Uh, Especially its new restoration. Yeah, it looks fantastic. Arrow video. I think this one is, I would call, like, especially if you sort of like those grimy kind of like thriller mm-hmm. sort of movies, this one's sort of necessary viewing in my mind. And also that sort of like old, like, 142nd Street episode we talked about. While this didn't take place on 42nd Street, they definitely referenced they the reference deuce, the deuce, yeah. And there's still a lot of that, that imagery mm-hmm. that extends beyond just that single street. You yeah. know, I guess if 42nd Street was maybe... We see it as more that sort of like heterosexual type peep shows and stuff. Yeah. This was the gay, L- yeah, the gay version. You yeah, know? yeah, no, yeah. But uh, I guess we got some recommendations to get mm-hmm. into. I know I've struggled with mine, so why don't you let me know what? Oh, I knew mine immediately. Yeah. Um, so mine is from 1980. We watched it in that um, sex on screen class where we first encountered Berlant and Warner. Was that the first place? That was the first place I encountered. <laughs> yeah, maybe that was the first place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it I was. think okay, yeah, that's true. Okay, so just bringing it all together. Um, it is also from 1980. It's a German film called Taxi Zum Klo or Taxi to the Toilet, mm-hmm. which is about the yeah the gay scene in. I want to say West Berlin yeah. at the time. And so, yeah, you get a lot of the same kind of like seedy anonymous hookups. Well, I mean, it's literally called taxi to the toilet and this idea that you go yeah. to the public toilets to like hook up with a guy and stuff. And it's, but it's, it's a great movie. I really it's, remember it's enjoying it. It's about a teacher who has yeah. to kind of keep his gay life secret. And he does because he's like an right? elementary school yeah. type teacher, primary teacher. Yeah. And yeah, so they just kind of negotiating these two lives and uh-huh. his relationship with his, uh, boyfriend while also taking part in this more like hookup type culture yeah. if you want to call it that that seems like a very contemporary straight kind of term yeah no like, i really to dating this apps, one. But... and shockingly enough it might not be anymore but for a while it was on netflix oh yeah yeah so wow i wonder if it was censored much if it's still on netflix it's worth checking out if mm-hmm. you can but it, it could be censored because it gets pretty graphic at times it does, like there is straight up like yeah there it, it's i mean it's european of course there's yeah. genitals and the doc, you know, getting a getting a, a rectal exam from the doctor yeah. after a hookup. And... Of course, uh, with the way they added to cruising together, it was pretty graphic at times. Like during the stabbings, mm-hmm. they put in straight up like hardcore gay pornography, just like single frames of it spliced right in there. That's true. So yeah, you never know. You never know. Um, my recommendation is so good. Recommendation. Thank you. Um, I want to rewatch this one for sure. My recommendation is actually piggybacking off of that, uh, and it's something else we watched in that class. Uh, mm. It is another German movie from 1988 called The Virgin Machine. Uh-huh. The reason I'm picking this one, and I figured this out partway into recording this episode that I would do this, <laughs> is because it's kind of looking at lesbian and queer women underground hey. subculture. I remember there being some leather daddy stuff, but like the, the lesbian equivalent of that, mm-hmm. and like the drag shows, and just this kind of look at alternative sexuality that's kind of forced to the margins mm-hmm. kind of thing. Because lesbians are so often either like completely sexualized but in like a heterosexual male gaze way or they're seen as asexual where yeah, it's like it's oh like, they're just crazy cat ladies who yeah, like never the sexual fuck. side of it is Lesbian just like bed death. yeah yeah it's For one sure. or the other so yeah that's good i like yeah. that that'd be a good double feature it'll be, yeah we should do that and see if we can get her professor on the podcast oh that'd be sick that would be so good because she was so interesting about this kind of stuff mm-hmm. and yeah. she's like a german professor so like yeah. that's that's her kind of area of knowledge is the language and culture and stuff i can text her i literally have i've babysat her kids before oh okay we can text her (laughs) we should definitely see if we can we can hook this up Mm -hmm. yeah cool cool um 
we hope you enjoyed our discussion of cruising. Uh, I... I knew we were going to have a lot to talk about, but I felt like this was very fruitful, especially as soon as mm-hmm. you were like, I need to look up sex in public again. And yeah, like, I think oh, that gave shit. us yeah. I was going kind of like, oh, I'm so tired. What am I going to talk about? And it's like, right. Yeah, like I said, there's I know stuff what I'm talk I didn't about. quite get to mm-hmm. that I think would be good for a future episode. But right. uh, in the sake of keeping things succinct and all that, I think for now we can probably say take it easy and keep it sleazy.